the, the subject this morning is mean, and I guess it, it kind of there, and it's just not a subject pulled out like that. Um, I believe the Lord led me to uh, bring this message, maintaining an act of faith in the middle of difficult circumstances. When life doesn't go well, life throws a curve, there's problems, whatever. How do we maintain an active, not just faith, an active faith? But maintaining an active faith while facing the challenges of life is not easy, and there's no easy solution, no magical potion, whatever. God's word is strong and powerful. Prayer is strong and powerful. Seeking counsel and advice, encouragement from friends is so needed. But in the end, what we're going to see this morning, the choice to trust God or not is yours. It's yours, mine. That's, that's the bottom line. That's where it stops. And so we're going to look at two different Bible characters this morning in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the first uh, text is uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And this is the story of Naaman. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember the story of Naaman, uh, who had leprosy. And this is a story of him, of how God healed him. And we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at another, a prophet. Briefly look at the two, just briefly. How did they maintain, how did they keep an active, and the key word here is active, active faith, in spite of some unbelievably trying, difficult circumstances. So first, uh, Second Kings chapter 5 the scripture is there. If you have it in your Bible, fine. If not, you can follow it on the screen. I will read it and we'll go through it. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. <clears throat> And she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Well, by means go, the king of Aram replied. I'll even send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending you my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Now when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. He will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought he would surely come down to me, stand, call in the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farwar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. 
Now Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed, cleansed. So Naaman went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. In this story, there's four characters, four key people. There's Naaman, Naaman, who's a general in the Syrian army, a very high, up, high ranking, but he had leprosy. And when you had leprosy back then, you're banished. You're isolated completely from the community. No contact whatsoever. There's Elisha, the prophet of God, who told Naaman to wash seven times in the Jordan. You can, the, the story continues right read the whole story. Is the microphone, is this still working? Yeah? Okay, sounds like it's not here. But, um, so Gehazi, Gehazi is the messenger, the servant who went down to tell him, go wash in the river. You can read the story, the rest of it, the rest of the chapter, because Gehazi becomes greedy and jealous. I won't tell you what happened to him, you can read the story. But uh, that's not our point this morning. And then there's a young servant girl. And in the story, often, I don't know, Sunday school, uh, you've had this story, and, or uh, sermons, we often talk about Naaman, Elisha. I personally think we forget all about this young servant girl. She's kind of forgotten in this story, passed over, because we know so very little about her, not her name, not her age, anything. All we know is that she was a young girl taken captive, and now she's in another country um, as a slave, as a servant. I see her as around 10 to 15 years of age. She's old enough to know that there's a prophet who can bring healing, so she knows the gospel, she knows the word of God, she knows those things, so she's old enough, but she's considered counted as a young servant girl. So I see her as a early teens, somewhere in there. This was 800 years before Christ. Syria and Israel were at war, conflict. Can you imagine this young girl, she's outside, Maybe helping somebody pick up wood for the fire or, or fruit or in the garden or playing, maybe just off playing in the bush, whatever. And the Syrian soldiers grab her and take her away and she's away from home, family, culture, different language. Everything is different and lost. Gone. Hopeless. Helpless. <clears throat> What would your, your reaction be? Well, that's the same reaction she had. No family, completely alone. Fears, taken from her family, no security, everything beyond her control. No answers to her questions, no answer to her prayers, no theological training, no important position in society. My goodness, she's a foreign girl who's a slave, a servant, like no rights. But in spite of this very difficult and depressing circumstance, she succeeds in maintaining her faith. And the reason we know that is when her master, or the lady she's working for, her husband, Naaman, is sick, what does she say? Hey, there's a prophet back home. He can heal you. He can heal you. Here she is, 
sharing her faith with those who have no belief or similar belief as her own. In spite of the the difficult circumstances, she continues to share, live out and share her faith. And I believe she lived out her faith in such a regular and consistent way that when the opportunity came for her to say something to her master, they listened. They listened to her. You're not going to listen to anybody. You're going to listen to somebody who you think has something to say. And so somehow in her character, the way she lived out her life, they said, oh, there's something there. There's something there. Which set off a series of events, resulted as we read the healing and conversion of Naaman. But what stands out for me so much in this story that even though God did not answer her prayer, she's encouraging others to pray to God. Stop and think about that. She's praying that God, I'm sure she's praying that God would send her back home, (laughs) would answer her prayers. God is not answering her prayers. Yet she still encourages somebody else to turn to God for an answer. When God doesn't answer your serious prayers, do you give up? You say, oh, how how can I share? How can I encourage somebody else to pray to God when he's not answering my prayers? What if they say, has God answered your prayers? No, not yet. And you want me to pray? Yeah, pray anyways. (laughs) See, that's the kind of faith she had. How did she do it? I really wish I knew. <laughs> because there's no movie, no social media back then, no video, no books written about her. But we know one thing. At some point in her life, by the time she was taken captive to when she spoke to Naaman's wife about his sickness, at some point along the way, which is a very short and young life, She made the decision to continue to believe and trust in God no matter what. Even though God was not answering the way she wanted him to. And that's powerful. We'll come back to her in a minute. Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is in the Old Testament, um, near the end of the Old Testament, Um, Again, I'll have some verses up on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible if you want. Habakkuk, uh, a different name. Uh, This is 200 years later, 200 years further down the road. We're in Jerusalem. Um, Things are not going well. Society, uh, religious, uh, uh, politically, uh, socially, things are not going well. And so Habakkuk is a prophet. He's a prophet of God. He's had the training, um, uh, he's respected and well-known as a prophet, and he's praying for a revival. Have you prayed for a revival? We pray for revival. Habakkuk's praying for revival. He's confessing the sins. And so verse 1 to 4 of chapter 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help? You do not listen. 
or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife. Conflicts abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Boy, that doesn't sound like a healthy society. There's a lot of things going on. And that's how he starts his prayer. God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to go on? Pray, God, do something. So you can read, we're not going to read the whole book because we don't have the time for it, but the next set of verses, chapter 1, 5 through 11, God answers Habakkuk. And God says, yep, okay, I heard your prayer. Habakkuk's encouraged. Wow, God heard my prayer. What are you going to do, God? I'm sending the Babylonians. They're going to wipe you out. (laughs) Not quite the answer Habakkuk was expecting. And anybody who survives will be taken back to Babylon as a captive. So chapter 1, verses 12, and the verses after 12, Habakkuk questions God's logic. (laughs) And reasoning. He believes in God, but he had difficulty in bringing his understanding of God to what God said he's going to do and putting the two together. You're going to bring in a pagan, ruthless people to capture Jerusalem? That's not revival. You see, it's okay to question God. If you question God, it's okay. If you don't understand all the things God doing in your life or in the world around you, hey, that's okay. Questioning God is not the problem. It's accepting his answer. Are we willing and ready to accept the answer when and ever he gives that answer clearly? Sometimes he doesn't. But are we willing and ready to wait till that comes? In chapter 2 and chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, finally uh, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch Station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he he's okay, I'll wait. In chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Habakkuk, God confirms his answer again because it's basically a conversation between the two back and forth. When God confirms his answer back to Habakkuk, Habakkuk at this point has a choice. He has a very difficult choice, but not complicated, really. He can pout and complain. Well, if you're that kind of a God, forget it. I I can't believe in a God like you. You're not the kind of God I thought you were. That's not how I expected it to work out. You're not answering my prayers. You don't care for me and the others. Where's your justice? Where's your compassion? All All those kind of things, you know. Or he could continue trusting even in his confusion and sorrow. That's the choice we have, folks. That's the choice we have. And there's an in my ministry of Judy and I ministry, pastor ministry, pastoral ministry over the years, we've met a number of people who have said, that's the way God is? (laughs) I don't want anything to do with him. They made that choice. But we've also met many others, 
in their confusion, in their pain, in their sorrow, continue to trust in God, like Habakkuk. So chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18, let me read that to you. Habakkuk accepts God's answer. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled, yet I will patiently, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity <laughs> to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful Amen. in God, my Savior. Amen. Amen. There is his faith. Amen. See, life is not always easy. And I don't have to convince you bad things happen to good people. Even believers, Christians, there's no promise in God's word that we will be exempt from realities of life. We live in a world marred by rebellion, selfishness, greed, pride that we call sin. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of the actions of others. We're completely innocent in it. It's their fault. Someone else does something and we pay the price for it. Often, more often than not, we're the author of our own problems. Our own weakness. Whatever. We, 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 we live our own realities. This morning we saw two people, Habakkuk and this young servant girl. Habakkuk had theological training, good reputation, knew the word of God, knew how to preach it, knew how to encourage others to follow it. The young girl, someone hardly even Acknowledged in society. No importance, no place, no standing, very little experience, very little knowledge. They both lived two very different but difficult situations. Habakkuk, the destruction of Jerusalem. The young girl, an innocent victim of war. But they both have something in common. And I trust that is what we have in common with them that you have in common with them. They continue to trust God in spite of the difficult circumstances in which they're in. For Habakkuk, Jerusalem was destroyed. As you know, the people carried off into captivity. The young girl, sorry to say we don't know what happened to her. We don't. She shared her faith. After that, the story turns to Naaman. Naaman is healed and no more talk about her. I would really, really, really love to believe that Naaman, because he was so grateful, allowed her to go back home. But there's not always a happy ending to every story. There's politics involved here and culture and stuff. There's no guarantee she went back. Maybe she did, maybe not. But that's not the point. The point is she continued to put her trust in God. So who do you identify with? 
Do you identify with Habakkuk as somebody who has a lot of experience in, in faith and, and know, the God, know who God is and you have a long experience with God, uh, uh, Christ as a savior and, and experience and you're mature in your faith, you're, you more tend to see yourself on the Habakkuk side? Maybe you identify with the young girl. Hey, maybe you say, I didn't even know there was a book called Habakkuk in the Bible. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it's all new to you. And maybe somewhere you're, you're somewhere in between. So how do you respond when things don't work out for you? When they don't work out tomorrow? Or the next day, at work, at school, family, here at church? When difficulties happen? You, believe, you say you believe and trust in God? Why? Because he answers prayer? Praise the Lord. But what if he doesn't answer your prayers? Is that going to change your faith? God blesses you. Oh, yeah, the Lord has blessed me so much, and that's why I believe. What if he removes those blessings or doesn't bless you the same way? Are you still going to continue to trust in him? Here in Quebec, uh, French Quebecers are often described as les chrétiens non pratiquants, non-practicing Christians. Because we've had ministry in French for years, Judy and I, and often, uh, oh, I, je suis un chrétien non pratiquant. I'm a, a non-practicing Christian, and I've always thought, what a contradictory term. <laughs> How can you be non-practicing Christian? Isn't the word Christian mean you follow Christ? <laughs> But that's where they're called. It's okay to laugh at that, you know, but then we have to look in the mirror as well. Evangelicals, there are many non-practicing Christians. I've met many. They say they're Christians. They put their faith in Christ. They've said the prayer and they've been saved and baptized. But today they have no active faith. They're not involved in a faith community, any ministry whatsoever. They read their Bible maybe once in a while, not too often. They hardly share their faith with others. They're disillusioned, disappointed, frustrated with God because of things that have happened in their life. They pray for revival and there's no answer. God allows this or problems in the marriage or the family or sickness or whatever. Disappointed with fellow believers, with the church. Problems in the church, infighting in the church, cans, all those kind of things. Disappointed with life in general. It just didn't turn out the way they were hoping. And they just slid right off and say, fine. That's who God is, fine, I don't want anything to do with him. That's the way the church is, I don't want anything to do with it. And they made the choice not to continue to trust God for the solution, for the future. To be honest with you, Judy and I, over the years of ministry, have often been tempted to go that way. The temptation is there. Let's be, let's be honest. The temptation is often there to say, forget it. It ain't worth it. I don't know what's going on. I quit. I'm going home. 
Oh, don't yield to that temptation, folks. It's there. I know it's there for you, for every one of us here. Because we're human. <laughs> we're human. But the question boils down to, will you continue to trust God and put your faith and confidence in him? Because the pastor said it earlier in his statement, we have a God who's still alive. He's not dead. He's in control and he knows what he's doing, even though we do not. See, faith is not something that God zaps us with from heaven. Where we remain passive and say, God, give me faith. Yes, we ask God for many things, but God has already given us the capacity to trust him put our confidence in him. Faith is not a blind leap into the unknown. <laughs> For sure we don't know what's coming. We don't know everything ahead of us. But one thing we do know is the God who's already there. He's already ahead of us. And he's shown himself faithful that we can put our trust in him all the time in any circumstance, whatever it may be. He is leading the way. He reveals himself to us as a faithful God who can be fully trusted in all circumstances. Put up the second last slide, please. This original phrase, the truth that I, was, I really want us to catch. Maintaining an act of faith while facing the challenges of life is not always easy. God's word, prayer, Count of others, please. Yes, very, very essential and important. But the bottom line, the decision is yours. The decision is yours. What are you going to do with all that God has provided you with? How are you going to respond? Like the young slave girl with limited understanding of God, or like Habakkuk who knew that he was about to lose it all, can you continue to put your trust in God. Let me close with the reading again of the advantage with Habakkuk is because he's a prophet, things were written down. So listen again to his statement, his declaration of faith. Habakkuk 3, 16 to 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Amen.